Hello, everyone. This is Ancient Wisdom Today podcast. I'm Shaman Durek, and I am so honored and pleased to have a powerhouse woman in today in studio that is going to be sharing with us about her new book. This is a woman who is creating a new understanding of what it means to come out of being a victim, taking your space, listening to your truth, and forging forward. This is Sherry Dewan, the full-time board-certified neurosurgeon who has been practicing in Chicago area and has written a book. And, and you know, I know a lot of people are going, what? And she's going to talk about these things. But yes, and that's what it's about. It's about someone like her who's willing to step forth even when the world says, hey, you know what? You're a doctor, stay your lane. This is not your lane. You're not allowed to be in that space. And that is not okay anymore in where we are in our evolution. And it's important for women, especially her, also being Indian, to come forth and to step outside of that line and still honor her space, but also bring information to the world that is both supportive and enriching. And I'm just very happy to have this powerhouse in our studio today. Thank you for being with us, Sherry. Dr. Sherry, how are you today? I'm well. Thank you so much for having me here. It's such a pleasure to sit down with you. And I equally am absolutely fascinated by you and your path and what you do. And so um, I've adopted a lot of spirituality in my own life and my own practice. And, you know, would love to discuss that today with the listeners and how I use meditation and how I use healthy living and healthy being to center myself and give the best that I can to my patients, the world and my family. I think that's beautiful. I, first of all, I just want to commend you on writing a book, um, you know, also being an Indian woman, you know, because we, we, I'd like to see more women, more women of color, more women who ha have coming from these powerful backgrounds, stepping up in society and saying, hey, I have something to share. So first of all, I just want to give you the acknowledgement for being there in that space and holding that space because it's so needed on our planet right now. And, and, and I, I'm really wanting other women to, to hear everything you have to say today so that they can feel that empowerment to be able to do things that inspire them as well. So I wanna dive right in. Okay, so you're a neosurgeon doctor, board certified, and do you, I mean, how is that possible and allowing yourself to be able to still talk about, you know, meditation and yoga and all of these different things? I mean, this is this is definitely groundbreaking. Yeah. So um, so I'm a neurosurgeon. So what that means for, you know, anyone who doesn't know is I'm a brain and spine surgeon um, and I operate on adults and also kids. And um I've all, always adopted Eastern philosophies into my life. It's been kind of a part of who I am. Um, when I was a teenager, we were in India and I learned how to perform transcendental meditation from a yoga master. And I carried that with me throughout my life. Um, you know, I still do TM today. I do visualization meditation. I do it before surgery sometimes um, to center and ground myself and to stay calm. Um, 
So I do a lot of yoga. Um, I do Kundalini yoga, which I think is great for the spine, actually the low back. And I actually did an article for a goop magazine a few years ago about that. So I, yeah, so I, I'd like, you know, I want the mind body connection is so critical. And I think in traditional medicine, we don't understand it. You know, if you tell a patient as a doctor, as, as your surgeon, I want you to get better and I'm going to help you get better. If you give them that mindset, that encouragement, there's like a moment where it clicks, you know, and it's not just about performing the operation. It's about everything that surrounds it. And so I think there's so much beauty in how we as doctors can, you know, give back to our patients and, um, you know, and so my story really began um, and why I chose to become a neurosurgeon. It's not obviously popular for women. Um, there's only 219 board certified female neurosurgeons in the U.S. So I'm one of a very, very small number. Wow. Um, and I became interested in neurosurgery because my own mother, when I was in my 20s, uh, suffered a life-threatening brain hemorrhage and almost died. And she was kind of a powerhouse. She was 49 years old. She was on every board you could possibly imagine. She was a professor, PhD, really high powered. And one morning in a cold day in Chicago in January, she had gone to a meeting and passed out at the table and was taken emergently to the hospital. And we were essentially told if she doesn't have surgery, she's not gonna make it. And that was the first time I ever met a neurosurgeon. Um, I met a surgeon named Dr. Johnson and he performed surgery on her and saved her. And that I decided was gonna be my path. Um, so Let me ask you a question. Yeah. So, I mean, cause that's, that, those are things that you see in a movie, you know? I don't know if, if you're, you know, like, are you feeling me? Like when you see in a movie, the little girl who's watching her mom, you know, almost loses her because she gets brain hemorrhage. And then this, 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 you know, neurosurgeon comes in and saves the mom. And she looks at that neurosurgeon and lights up her eyes that you saved my mother. And this is my past. That's absolutely phenomenal. And, you know, and so profound. So at, at that point, you knew without every part of you, within every part of your being, that that was going to be the case. It was just this moment where I, I looked at this person, this man who had saved her life, and we were total strangers to him, right? Like I could have walked past him on the street. He would, didn't know who I was. I didn't know who he was. But yet it was the awe-inspiring amount of skill and talent and brilliance in him to, to say, you know, to save her. And I decided that I wanted to save other people's mothers. That was my, that was it. It was, this is my purpose and I have found it and, you know, I'm going to do this. And so, like I said, it wasn't popular. I knew no women who were in the field. And as I went through the process, you know, there were a lot of people who said, no, you can't do this. You can't be a woman and be a neurosurgeon. You can't be Indian and be a neurosurgeon. You can't be a mother. You can't be married. There were all of these things that were said to me. And it was kind of, um, you know, then that's what I wrote about in the book. It was really this, this path that I took that was not popular. And, um, but again, I, I think I had my purpose, right? I saw my mother as a living, breathing success story. 
So I knew that despite what people were saying to me and despite all the trials and tribulations and the training in medical school and residency, I had her, you know, every day. So I knew that there was a purpose for me to follow that path. That is beautiful. Was What were some of the challenges that you met along the way in making that decision and sticking with it? So one of the biggest issues is, you know, they always tell women, you can't be married and be a surgeon, period, whether you want to be a brain surgeon and be married. So I met my husband and uh, we kind of instantly connected. He was doing a PhD in biochemistry and we met and you know, my biggest worry was how can I be married? How can I have a family? I wanted to be a mother at some point. And um, I felt almost like I was taking him on this road with me that wasn't fair to him because I wasn't going to be home. I wasn't going to be available, maybe emotionally, mentally, physically. And, you know, one of the things he said to me was, I don't want you to look back in 10 years and regret that you didn't go into neurosurgery and become a brain surgeon. That was your dream, you know, and you have to, you have to meet the challenge head on. And so he was, he's always been my biggest supporter and he really, he really inspired me to, to take the leap. Um, and so that's, you know, that's what I did. I ended up going to medical school, um, you know, started the match. It's called the match process for residency, you know, but even still there were, significant obstacles that happened even during that period. And, and one story I bring up in the book was um, when I was a medical student and I was in the matching process and I had gone for an interview and um, there was a senior surgeon, very skilled, very you know wise. I looked up to him, put him on a pedestal and he was going through my application in his office. And he said, you know, I see a lot of things about you you're smart, you're intelligent, you're affable, but really neurosurgery is only for white males. And he closed my application and showed me the door. And this is a high powered university, you know, all the accolades, all the research funding. And that was it. That's all he saw. So those were the types of struggles that I had to go through despite having the grades, despite having all the recommendation letters, you know, and and fortunately, I did find my way to, you know, a program that was accepting and I ended up matching at Brown University. So in Rhode Island, um, which is, you know, which is a great place. Yeah, Brown's great. It was a great place. You know, beautiful Ivy League school. And yeah, um, I was the first female resident they had taken in 13 years. So there were literally, I mean, there was nobody in the, in my other story I love writing about in the book is the, the first day that I showed up at the hospital and I was in that intensive care unit and seeing patients and one of the nurses came in and she said, who are you? And I said, well, I'm the new neurosurgery resident. You know, I had my badge, my white coat. She's like, um, give me a second. She walks out of the room. She comes back and she says, you can't be the new neurosurgery resident. You're a girl. You know, and it was like this moment where, you know, she had never seen anybody that looked like me. So um, I think those are the experiences I write about in the book and, and how I really kind of overcame them and how I just kept pushing forward, you know, and, and I'll go back to purpose. I mean, I, I think if we find our purpose, we've, we've really, we've achieved the goal, right? Like our life's goal. 
And our purpose can change. You know, our purpose can be malleable. It can, it can be one thing this year, another thing this year. But if we have our core values and our core purpose, I think that's our, our you know, our pole star, like our guiding light in life. That's interesting you talk about purpose, because, you know, for me as a shaman, I used to believe that there was a purpose, right? I used to believe that I had a purpose for being here. And then I kind of took that away and realized that by me creating that, I'm hammering myself every day of wanting to meet that purpose. And then I started doing all this research about people who have these missions and purposes and all of these things. And I started noticing that people started putting all these expectations and all these ideas of what they feel like they had to do to get to that space. What do you do to, to not be hard on yourself and still be able to be playful and fun and enjoy what you do? Yeah. And that's a great question because I think, you know, when you're a really driven, ambitious person, you can get locked into this box, you know, and if things don't meet your expectations, it's a failure and it's terrible. And it's, you know, and so I've had to work really hard to, you know, as my husband always tells me, lower your expectations, you know, and I've had to work really hard at that because, you know, for me, it's always, I got to get to that goal that's up here and, you know, just seeing the beauty in like the everyday and, and for me, it's, you know, there's always such a rush, right? It's, I got to rush here. I got to rush here. I've got surgery. I have patients. And sometimes just sitting down and taking 10 or 15 minutes, just looking at somebody in the eye and having a conversation where you're not rushed and you're not looking at your phone and you're not texting and you're not on social media and just kind of enjoying the beauty of the moments that we have in life. And, um, you know, and I, I think I'm in a unique space because I see the fragility of life every day where, you know, I see people who, you know, it's a, it's a life or death moment. And in many situations, I meet people on the worst day of their lives because they've come in with brain hemorrhages or car accidents. And, and so I think, um, I work at it. I will tell you, you know, I mean, because I think it is easy to get so tunnel vision about where you're headed. Yeah. I mean, I think for me, like, you know, I had this idea that I had this mission and this purpose. And then when I finally decided to go, like, I know what I love to do and I know what makes me happy. And I'm just going to show up to that with happiness and joy every single day without this idea of trying to grind myself to get there. And from that space, more space opened up for me and I was able to start acknowledging nature more and not being on my phone and not feeling like this pressure on me all the time. But it's a challenge, I must say, when you are a doctor, because the demand that's placed upon you can be quite a burden, um, you know, when there's so much happening in your own personal life and within the structure of, you know, the medical world. So how do you find the balance, especially as a wife and a mother and a doctor and a friend and all these things? How do you find that balance to continue being you? Because I think that's really the big issue that people have. It's like they want to be able to do those things, right? Because women take on way more than men do. 
as much as men like to believe they don't, they do. That's why I always find it funny when when my male friends will say like, well, I work and, you know, she takes care of the kids. And, and I said, well, taking care of the kids is one aspect. When there's, and then when she has a career that she loves and is passionate about and then has other things that she wants to do, it, you know, it can become a, a handful. So what is it? That in you being all of these, wearing all these different hats, my love, to be able to create that balance in your life. Yeah, I think it really is about expectations and it's a dynamic living and breathing organism is what I would say. And that's kind of my family, you know, my family unit, it's a living and breathing organism. It's, you know, this person forgot their homework and needs this, the dog needs this. There's, you know, and there's always things. um, But I think, you know, what I try to do is be joyful with it instead of looking at them as, oh gosh, I have to drive to the school again and I'm going to be late for this. And, you know, I try to be joyful with my life and light and I try to put humor into it. And I try to make sure I laugh with my husband about funny things during the day. And, you know, we'll send each other funny messages. And I, you know, I think life shouldn't be, you know, it shouldn't be this stressful, chaotic, dramatic situation. Mm. There's too much chaos and drama at work every day in the hospital and life and death moments. And there's got to be lightness to it. There's got to be beauty and humor and telling jokes and making fun of each other. And so I, I like to keep things light. I don't like to be such a serious person, you know, and um, I think that's one reason why my husband and I have been married now 18 years. And I think like that's really why our marriage has kind of survived all these evolutions and, um, you know, medical school, residency, kids moving across states, um, jobs, things like that. I think it's just about us spending that time together to kind of joke around and be be like we were in our twenties, you know? Yeah. You know, so let's go, let's go into it. You know, like what, what was the moment that inspired you? Cause I mean, I, I honestly feel like you should have a TV show. You should have a TV show that like either follows your life or is written after you, because it, it's quite extraordinary um, that you, you wear all these hats and do, I'm, I'm still a little bit like, wow, this is amazing because I can, I, I really do see how much in my life, how much my fiance does in her life and women in general. So I just really am just, yeah, I'm, I'm very uh, in awe of you. So, you know, when we talk about, uh, you know, being a neurosurgeon and, you know, being in the medical world, how does your colleagues feel that you've written a book that does talk about meditation and and yoga and all of these things or have you met any resistance in being who you are and also expressing um, those you know, things my colleagues actually support much of it i mean i do have colleagues my i really only work with men you know i have five male colleagues and um many of them do yoga and they you know believe in you know, the shift. I mean, maybe some of them don't meditate per se, but, you know, I do think there is a mindset change that has happened in the last couple of years and an awareness and an acceptance. Um, You know, I had a situation some time ago where one of the members of the Royal family was operated on and I was asked to participate in the surgery. And um, it was a very high profile person and 
obviously uh, we all wanted the outcome to be great. And there was a moment before we started the procedure where we all held hands and we all closed our eyes and we almost had this meditative moment and it was almost 30 people in the room. And then after the moment passed, it was, okay, get to work and take care of the patient. And the patient became the patient, not the royal family, not this, not that. It was the patient. That's it. And outcome was phenomenal. And I, and I really think that this huddle or this meditative moment is more accepted now in the operating room, you know, in places where you would think 10 years ago, people would have laughed you, you know, laughed you out of the room. Like, we're going to meditate. What are we going to do? We're operating, you know? Right. But, but, you know, and, but I think it's a lot more accepted now than we give credit for, you know, and I think yoga is becoming a much more accepted practice for back pain. Um, I've written a lot of articles about using yoga for back pain and spinal pain. Um, mm -hmm. Water therapies have become more accepted for spine. People are using more meditative techniques for brain tumor patients. So I think, you know, holistic medicine is dipping a toe into, into traditional medicine. And I think practitioners like myself, I love that aspect of it because I think the mind-body connection is so key um, to wellness and to healing. You know, I'm really happy to hear that because there's still a lot of places in the world where that's actually um, shunned upon, you know, people are still... Um, finding that anyone who would ever even say something like that, you know, would be considered, um, you know, just disqualified in what they think is, uh, you know, science. You know, uh, one of those places is, for instance, where I'm at right now in Norway, you know, they don't believe in that at all. And, um, and it's unfortunate because I feel like, you know, we are on a path in our evolution to learn how to integrate and also share ideas and be able to find ways that we can support one another with our knowledge and with our expertise as well as our you know our know-how when it comes to either science-based uh, knowledge or spiritual-based knowledge or even mental base for mental health you know like all of it coming together and creating a space where the patient isn't told that it only has to go down one road, that it can actually be a, a, an experience that it goes through with the medical world, with the holistic, with you know the spiritual, with the mental and the emotional, and and so forth. You know, and even just being with nature. You know, because th there has to be a moment in our time or in our evolution where we see that these components can't be separate and and not saying that one should uh, overshadow the other one or one should say, well, I'm the one that should be listened to the most, but it should be a, a collective collaboration. What are your thoughts on that for the future? I mean, I think that's the way of the future. I mean, I think we're going to be doing less medicine in the sense that taking less pills, taking less chemicals in our body. And we're going to be more holistic about our treatments and we're going to be more active. I mean, one of the biggest problems is people sit too much, you know, I mean, if you look at, we, we just don't move. I mean, and you, you look at the American diet, you look at the American lifestyle and you, you, 
have to say, I mean, there's a reason why obesity is a, ma is a major problem. There's a reason why stroke, high cholesterol, all of these things. And, you know, we're going to need to really turn the, the mirror on ourselves culturally and say, okay, let's look at what we're eating and putting into our body. Let's look at our level of activity, our level of exercise. Let's look at our mental health. I mean, I think like COVID really shined a light on the issues that we have with mental illness. And, you know, that's a huge part, uh, you know, of, of getting well and being well and feeling well and giving back to your community and your family and the people that are in your circle, you know, your, your tribe or your collective. Um, I mean, I think that needs to be the shift. I really do. Yeah, I do too. I think there needs to be the, the world that you live in. I think there needs to be someone who's, uh, who's uh, knowledgeable of nature and how nature can facilitate change within the human body. I think there should be an emotional person who helps people understand how the, the relationships you have and the emotions that you react to or respond to are creating an effect on the human body. I think there should be someone there meant, uh, who does mental health and helps you understand how to have a certain level of mindfulness and using visualizations and understanding how the mind works. And there should be someone there who helps people understand what it means to be spiritual. And spirituality isn't just about religion, that it's about being able to evolve and, and utilizing and facilitating all levels of what it takes for you to do so in the most loving and graceful way. What has been uh, for you when it came to, and I want to go back, I want to go back to something um, that you said earlier, which was about the neosurgeon making a comment about uh, that it's only for white men. When you heard that, because the problem we still have on our planet, unfortunately, is discrimination and racism, right? And not just uh, towards color, but also discrimination towards women and what they're capable of doing and where they belong and what places that they can occupy. And, and, and so when it comes to that awareness, what was that for you? Why didn't you just say, you know what, I'm going to give a, like, this is a white man's thing. I'm, why do I continue? Let me just throw in the white towel and, 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 and just do something that actually supports women. Why did you continue forward? What was it that actually sparked you to make that choice? I think, um, you know, in retrospect, I think about that moment a lot. And I wish I would have come up with some witty retort or had something really profound to say to him, you know, but I was you know, in my 20s. I was shy. I wasn't super confident at the time. And he was this senior surgeon. I put him on a pedestal, you know, had operated with him. So, you know, at the time, I just walked out the door. He showed me the door and I walked out and um, I called my husband afterwards and I write about this part in the book. And, and I said, he told me that I couldn't get in because I wasn't a white male. And my husband stopped for a minute. And then he said, he's not allowed to say that. And I said, well, he did. And he's like, he was stunned. I was stunned. You know, both of us were trying to process the emotions, but the interesting thing to me about that was that my husband had never seen the world with that lens because that wasn't his reality, right? Like he would have never dreamt, he would never have gone into a room with a CV, an application and been said to, that that never would have been said to him. 
So it was almost, I think, in retrospect, like, like a Michael Jordan moment, you know, like, uh, you know, when he's cut from the high school team and, and he, he wants to play basketball and it's almost like, a, I, I'm going to show you, you know, that's mm -hmm. really what it was. It was, no, I'll show you. I'm going to, I'm going to do this. And you're not going to tell me no, because no one tells me no. And if it's no, it's because it's, I'm telling myself no. And it was almost like a rebellious irreverence, um, a streak of that, which I've had my whole life, <laughs> you know, uh -huh. to some degree. And almost, you know, like you, you can't tell me, no, you can't tell me how to be, you can't make my choices for me. Um, so that's really what it was. It was almost a little touch of anger hmm. that was there that, that really pushed me to, um, to keep going and to show him. And, you know, I ran into him at a conference actually a couple of years ago. So I would love to send him a copy of the book, a signed copy and say, here you go, <laughs> you know, but. Um, when you ran into him, what was that like? Was that, I mean, what did that bring up inside of you? Uh, that moment, really, you know, I brought up that moment and um, how I had been disqualified because I was an Indian woman. And, you know, the guy who was interviewing right after me was a white male, you know, and he probably was like, hey, buddy, come on, join the program, you know, and um, so it felt it felt um, it felt like I was disqualified for my ethnicity, my gender. Um, when I had all the, the grades, I had all I had done everything that everybody else had, you know, so, you know, to see him again after all those years, I think it felt I felt somewhat vindicated, you know, that I was in that room at a conference with him and um, we were at the same place. And despite all of his negativity towards, you know, my candidacy. Um, but, you know, and, and part of the reason I wanted to write the book too was because I want to show other people in the world, you know, whether they're doctors, lawyers, business people, how you get past adversity and how you can keep going, you know, and you know, there are other scenes in the book where, you know, I was pregnant, I became pregnant when I was a resident and was not popular. And it was, well, didn't you know that women can't be pregnant in neurosurgery? Like, didn't you get that memo? And, you know, so it was, it was that. And then there, you know, and so I write about that in the book and how I experienced motherhood as a surgeon and how that wasn't a popular decision. Um, but yet throughout all of that, you know, kept going and kept going and kept following a path that I had chosen. And um, I really want to provide that inspiration, encouragement for people out there who are meeting with adversity. And, you know, when you're in, a, in an adverse situation, all you see is the situation, right? I think if you project yourself one year out, two years out, what's my life going to look like in two years? What's my life going to look like in three years, you know? And one of the biggest things with, with my pregnancies, they really weren't supported in my training. It was, you know, I had two, my had two daughters and a, and a son, and I had both my daughters in my training, seven years of training. And, um, they had said, you know, motherhood and neurosurgery don't mix. You can't be a good mother and you can't be a neurosurgeon. They say that about fathers too, you know, it's just not possible. And, you know, now my daughters are 13 and 12. They're one year apart in school. They're best friends. And most of the people that were the naysayers or detractors, I don't really see those people anymore, you know? And so they were kind of out of my life after two years. And 
you know, yet I was so focused on their negative energy during my pregnancies. And now, you know, I don't even talk to them anymore, but I have these beautiful girls then, you know, that I pushed through, um, despite all of the negativity. So I, I think it's easy for us to get tunnel vision when we're in a bad situation, but and I would say to people, look at what your life is going to be like six months, one year, two years, think about, you know, how that's going to feel and, and, and hang on to that moment more so than the immediacy of your, of your current moment. I, I love that. I actually love that. And I actually, it's very commendable to have such courage and such um, adversity. You know, I, I find it in my own self uh, when it comes to being a shaman, for instance, uh, and also being a black man, um, people in the wellness, health and wellness and spiritual community don't want to listen to a black man. So they, it's a, their ears aren't tuned to listen to a black man. So I have to actually show up with really making a presence and really like just constantly staying, you know, very focused in what I'm doing, what I'm bringing forth to people in the world. And then people go, Oh my God, I, I heard of you, uh, you know, a long time ago, but I never really listened to you. But now I started listening to you and then you, wow, you have so many, a much, a lot of great information that's really been supportive to me and my family, you know, and it's, if, if I had been someone else, like a white man, you know, they would have listened immediately. Like when I look at a lot of the shamanic books that are written out there, you know, uh, I see white doctor went to Peru, white doctor went to Africa, white doctor went to this place. This white man went to that place. It's not written by the people and the ones that are, I support, you know, but it's not written by the people who actually live you know, and sleep and breathe and, and, and engulf their whole life in being a shaman. You know, it's written by someone who went there and took plant medicine and then came back to tell their tale. And it's just so interesting to me how people would rather go get information from them than seek it from the source itself, from those who are rooted in that, in that, that wisdom. Like, even though you are a, a, a doctor and a, a neurosurgeon, you are rooted in, in the, one of the most ancient cultures on the planet. So there is a deeper wisdom, not beyond you being a doctor, there's a deeper wisdom in your DNA that is supporting not just uh, the choices you make, it's supporting the overall view holistically and how you see the individual as a whole in what you're doing that people have to also take into consideration. It's not just, uh, you know, I'm a neurosurgeon doctor, you know, I am coming from a long lineage of, of rooted knowledge that has been passed down through generations that's in my DNA. So when I'm with you, all of that is moving through me. You know, and I think that's so important for that to be seen and heard in today's uh, society because it's not enough. And, you know, when I when I look out out there in the world and I see, you know, the people who are out there, I don't see a lot of people who are saying, you know what, I am a doctor. I believe in holism. I'm stepping in as a woman. I'm going into one of the toughest uh, you know, places to be in the medical uh, world. 
and also holding my space. Just got to pause for a moment for that. That was powerful. That was really powerful. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So when people read your book, what is it that you want them to get the most of from reading your book that made you feel to, the need to write it? I think really it's, I want to show people that you can have so many people telling you no, you can have the world telling you no, you know, you may even doubt yourself, but if you have conviction in what you're doing and you know, deep, deep, deep down that you're meant to do it, you have to go for it. You know, mm -hmm. you have to go for it because there, you know, there, there's never a good time to take the leap of faith. There's never a good time. And, um, you know, I wanted to show people, you know, when people look at me today, they see a successful woman that's had a successful career and, you know, three beautiful children, a wonderful husband, 18 years and all of these things. But what they don't see are all of the trials and tribulations that I went through. Right. And I think some people are afraid to show that because it's hidden, you know, it's kind of pushed down. Right. But I thought, you know, there's so much power and impact in showing the things that you went through and how hard they were. And, and yet you survived and you made it. And what are the things you said to yourself? And so the book is written as almost like an advice, like a, it is a memoir, but it's also laden with advice throughout the book about ways that I processed trauma. You know, what happened when my first patient died? How did I deal with that situation? And and so I want people to feel empowered when they read it. And um, the first copies have just gone out internationally to some of the readers. And I mean, the messages that I've received these past couple of weeks, like they bring me tears because it's just, they're so beautiful, you know, and, and people are like, you've impacted my life, your story. And like, thank you for sharing it. And, you know, and that's really what it's about. That's what it's about. It's about that message getting out there for people that to know that you have to have conviction in yourself, in life, in, in what you do. And if you have that and you have your purpose, the sky's the limit. You can go anywhere, you know? And so I, that's, that's really the message of the book. And, and I really hope that people read that and they see that and they go after whatever it is they want. You know, you don't have to be a brain surgeon. It could be anything, you know, it could be anything that you want in your life, but, um, but to have the conviction in yourself, even when you're told no over and over and over again, it's not possible to be a neurosurgeon. You're not male. You're not white. You can't stay married. Your marriage won't last. You can't have children. All of these things, you know, it's like, no, I did all those things. <laughs> <laughs> I have three and I have three kids now. So it's, um, so that's really, that's really what it's about. And I hope, and I hope my readers um, take that from it and and go out in the world and kind of create their own domino effect with, with what they're doing in their lives. Well, that was very beautifully said. Thank you for sharing that. You know, I believe very strongly that life is life. It is what it is. Um, but the key element to life is 
being comfortable to be exposed in the act of sharing who you are, what you feel, your convictions, and so forth with the world in a way that can perhaps lighten someone's life. It doesn't mean it's going to lighten everyone's life, you know, but there are those who will be, you know, lifted by that. And when they're ready for it, then it will, you know, it will lift them as well. The thing is, you know, I feel in this world that people are afraid to share their their knowledge and wisdom. And I think the key to all things is to share. It's like, I call it laying a buffet out for my friends and family and people out in the world. And if they, they can take what they want from it, and if they don't want to take that, that's fine. I'm not going to be upset with them. I love them. And it's really allowing people to have that space to know that every day, as long as I breathe air in these lungs, there will be a buffet waiting for you of things that will help you to assist you. And I feel like that's what you've done. You've created a buffet to help people to overcome the adversity and the acknowledgement of, of the people out there in the world who would close a door in their face or say no, and that they're not discouraged and they're not, you know, so you've created this very powerful um, empowerment buffet for people to take from. And I'm really excited to share that with all of the people in the tribe um, worldwide um, here on Ancient Wisdom today. And I'm just grateful that I've had this amazing conversation with you. Can you tell everyone what the name of your book is, where they can find it, how they can get in touch with you, all that good stuff? Uh, so the book is called Cutting a Path. And I have a copy right here. So I'll put it up here on the screen. Um, it's a, uh, a book published by Brown Books. So you can go to my website, which is www.drsherrydewan.com. Um, it's also on Amazon, Barnes and Noble, uh, pretty much any book vendor, if you want to Google it and find it. Um, on my website, there's a button for media. If you ever want to get in touch with me to talk about anything, uh, feel free to contact me. I'd love to hear your questions, your ideas, um, you know, feel free to connect. So, uh, I love talking to international readers. I love talking to local readers. You know, I just love when people are impacted somehow by my book and they reach out and tell me. It's really important for me just to hear that because that's that's the reason I wrote it. Oh, it's beautiful. I'm, I'm looking forward to getting a copy as well. What is, um, can you hold it up again? Because the cover is so beautiful. Wow, that's powerful. Who chose that picture? Uh, my husband did actually. It, it's a powerful, it's, oh, a powerful it's a powerful cover. Cover. Very powerful. Well, I am so happy that we've had you here on Ancient Wisdom today. And thank you so much, Dr. Dewan, for being here. It brings me such joy to hear your story and the triumphs that you've overcome from the adversities that you've had to experience and really being able to step into that space as a woman for other women and for other people to show them what's possible and that it can be done. Thank you so much for having me here today. It's been a pleasure. <laughs> Thank you.